Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Inking Out Loud. Today is episode 30. Wow, 30 episodes we've recorded so far. Uh, not counting the Patreon exclusive episodes, of course. Um, and you know, speaking of Patreon exclusives, real quick, before we dive into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, we'd like to remind our listeners that for the price of $2 a month, you can become an official patron of Inking Out Loud, and you can get access to things like our monthly newsletter, peeks at our upcoming schedule of episodes, and we do have a few higher tiers as well, allowing you to submit titles for us to read in the future, you know, get access to all episodes a whole week early, and even live personalized shoutouts. So if this is your sort of thing, don't hesitate to visit us on Patreon at Inking Out Loud. Anyway, I'm your host, Rob Santos. I'm joined by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. And today we're joined again by special guest, Rob Winchell, making a return hey. to finish our discussion of The Great Hunt by Robert Jordan. What's up, Rob? How's it going, dude? Good to have you back, man. Good Thank to have you. you back. Gentlemen. I missed you. <laughs> I missed you too, man, so Aww. much. My other half. Ha, you see what yeah. I did there? That's true. Anyway, let's begin. Opening thoughts. Drew, what'd you think, dude? Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I really love this book. I love the ending. Um, it's, yeah, you know, the, the first half of this book, especially the first third, isn't the fastest paced, uh, you know, opening of any of the Wheel of Time books, but I do think The Great Hunt has one of the best climaxes in the whole series. Mm -hmm. And just the, the, the sheer... You know, excitement, the the epic scale of what's going on. You know, we have items of legend being you know whipped out again. We got you know the the heroes of the horn. We have Rand and Balzaman fighting across the sky, and yeah, it's it's just really really good. And honestly, one of my favorite things about it is uh, the actual chapter titles at the end of this book. I I love how much kind of oomph. Once you know the context, things like Five Will Ride Forth yeah. and To Come Out of the Shadow and The Grave is No Bar to My Call. You know, like these are great chapter titles. Yeah, they're, they're downright chilling, aren't they? I love them. I absolutely love them. Rob, what about you, man? How'd you find the second half? Um, I like, I, there's nothing I really disagree with on Drew's deep penetrative lore thoughts. Yes, <laughs> the deep penetrative <laughs> lore. Yeah, it is. He was gentle, but, um, yeah, uh, I loved Ingtar's, you know, supposed death. I love that part. Um, not that he died. Well, a little bit. I do have the controversial opinion that Ingtar's not that good, but, um, <laughs> Did you say his supposed death? I mean, he died there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he died. <laughs> okay. yeah. We use, I, I say supposed in the sense, like, you don't actually see it. It's oh, okay. His, yeah, yeah. his off-screen death, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see if anything to add. You hear uh, it, though. I, I found that pretty oh. cool. I, lo I love the way I love the scenes. I love the scenes in the ways. I love that was great. Oh yeah, with, yeah. with uh, Leandrin the girls. Really, and Leandrin. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, those are, um, those are scenes I always kind of just like. I don't know, brushed past. I, sorry, I don't. I don't mean to say brushed past, but they didn't really stick out to me. I just kind of, in one ear and out the other with a lot of those scenes. I don't know. Well, that's fine. I don't find that's not offensive to me or anything. It's okay. <laughs> I'm sure some people <laughs> would find it offensive though. Okay. Uh, I, love, I love the weird. You know the, the the wind. I forgot quite I just blanked. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd forgotten that, uh, you know, that, uh, damn it, what the heck is the word I'm looking for? Moniker, that's it. The the Wonder Girls. Yeah. I'd forgotten entirely about that until you just brought that up, True, yeah. <laughs> but, Although the, the Wonder Girls crew isn't quite complete yet, but... Not but quite. They're, uh, 
they're on their way. Well, they're they're well on their way. <laughs> but yeah, we see so much starting to pick up in action for the second half of the book. As you mentioned, Drew, it was a little on the slower side for the first third, but there was just so much world building, so much to, to, to prepare for and what was going to happen for the rest of this book. But starting where we left off, I mean, and this is something that I had we had briefly touched on at the very end, I think, of last episode. But in chapter 24, where we started, we, we, we begin to see the first real wave of effects that Rand has as a Taviran mm -hmm. and Gawain has a has a has a stunning uh example when he's talking to Egwene and he's talking to Min and Elaine in the White Tower and he says of course such a strange fellow a shepherd although he never looked or acted like any shepherd I ever saw strange I've met all sorts of people and they've met Randall Thor some do not even know his name but the description could not be anyone else and he's shifted every one of their lives. And he goes on to explain about how there's this, this old farmer who came to, to Camelin to see Loghain. And he, you know, he stayed to stand for, for Morghese when the riot started because of this young man off to see the world who made him think there was more to life than his farm. And then mm -hmm. he specifically says, you could almost think he's Taviran. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, ah, oh, Gowan, you sweet summer child. And and Egwene in that in that uh, moment, she's kind of like, <clears throat> yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you could think so, yeah. <laughs> so much subtlety in his writing. Well, and, and then especially in the second half of this book, and you know, as we find out at the end when Moiraine talks to, to Rand, you know, his his effect on the world, his Tavirin effect, is out of control now. You know, with with Kyrian and civil war, and you know, Almoth Plain and and. Tarbon and Aradomon are are basically at war, and Dragon Sworn are, you know, proclaiming him, and and there's all this strife tearing apart the world, basically, and uh, you know, poor Rand, and his he's just his never-ending mantra is just I'm not I wasn't doing anything I'm not doing anything yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to do this and trying to do that This is all happening around me It's happening to me. Not because of me, but you know, poor guy. I, I loved like uh, how how little he does and how he has no idea what he's doing, hmm. but he ends up like playing the game of houses expertly in Kyrian. Like when he's talking with Barthanes during the party, and he he just says like random things, and Barthanes is like, "Wait, whoa, Wait, what? the grain barges." I had whoa. no imagination. Whoa, that you're, you were such an adept player. Deeper, than yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way he settles into cat crosses the courtyard, just starts you know, yeah. walking like Strutting. a badass. Uh, Barthanes just wasn't having any of it. Yeah, but yeah, uh, that, it was awesome. I I loved honestly, you know that whole Kyrian sequence, it, it's one of my favorite early kind of stretches of the series where we get to see, you know, we get to see the main characters just learning to interact with the, the power structures in the world. Right. Mm. You know, it's, it's um, like in, in the first book, yeah, Rand meets more gays and, and he meets Elida and, and Gareth Bryan, but he's, he's not uh, able to interact with them. You know, they they just kind of talk to him, yeah, or around him. And then him. he's sent yeah. away, yeah. And then and then in this one, he's now interacting with nobles and officers, and he's providing an impact onto the power structures that previously existed in the world, where he did not in Eye of the World. Hmm. That's for sure. That's no, for and sure. then of course it it culminate, uh, culminates with that party, which is tons of fun. I, I 
I love the descriptions of like the the Kyrian and noble women like circling like vultures around yeah. Ingtar and Rand. Yeah, <laughs> like, they're they're kind of whole entire helplessness at the situation. Like <laughs> somebody help me, you know. <laughs> the the two that come right up to Rand, they're like. My husband uh, doesn't pay any attention to me. I would love for you to come play yeah. your flute. And, uh, and Rand's like, uh... About as subtle like, as a sledgehammer. Oh, well. yeah. Yeah. And then and then Brienne Taborwin shows up and she's like, well, you don't have to worry about any husbands when it comes to me because I don't even have one. And then <laughs> like, the MILF comes in. She's like, listen to these yeah, two yeah, shiny yeah. ninnies. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the least it's like the least believable thing about all these books that they don't know how to talk to women with how many women <laughs> yeah. clearly yeah. are clearly want the, clearly want yeah. these characters and i also got a crack out of um uh how much uh like rand and madden parent kind of give each other garbage about it like uh i think it's a loyal asks you know about like the two rivers and matt's like Marissa Ayellen thought I was handsome, and, and <laughs> yeah, Loyal's yes. like, "Is she pretty?" And and Rand's like, "She has a face like a horse." <laughs> and, and, and Perrin like has to keep a straight face because, or no, Perrin says she has a face like a horse, and Rand privately he's like, like trying not to laugh because Marissa Ayellen is like nearly as pretty as Egwene, mm-hmm. <laughs> which from Randolph Thor is pretty high praise because yeah, he compares yeah. Egwene to a lot of more notable faces like. Celine, for example, yes, <laughs> and and Elaine, <laughs> and Elaine Trakan, yeah. yes, absolutely. Now, uh, before we continue, uh, you know, diving into our characters on a one-on-one basis, or I should say, on an individual basis, I, there's a couple things stylistically about Jordan's writing I think we should discuss first. Mm-hmm. Um, some things are are coming more into the spotlight that you know, a, a few maybe of, if you want to call them, of his proclivities. Um, with his prose that you know in the eye of the world we didn't see a whole lot of yet but i'm starting to pick them out here and this is his use of metaphor or simile and his descriptions mm-hmm. of people's demeanors their voice their eyes their their entire personality um there was a there was a spot oh for okay so there's a in one of bail domon's chapters Eginen, with first time we, we meet Eginen, her eyes made ice seem warm yeah, you know, and and knowing what I know going forward, having as much experience in this series as I do, I I just I'm starting to to notice these little ones, and I'm going, oh yeah, here we go. We're gonna we're gonna hear that exact one over the course of the series, probably about forty more times. What about yeah. you? <laughs> uh, no, I think that's a that's a fair point to make. Um, I I do think that Robert Jordan did a pretty good job of of um, having a variety of different kind of descriptors that he could fall back on. Um, so it's not always the same description, but he had kind of a pool of them that you, you could tell hmm. he went back to It's almost several like, times. For, like a formula. Yeah. Um, and I don't have a problem with that. You know, I, I, you know, it's something that, you know, he, he found some things that worked for him and, uh, and, you know, so he used them when he thought it was necessary. Uh, I, I I do think you know the specific um, uh, descriptions of eyes, like that you pointed out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they're they're like three or four, not all used in this book, but that recur. You know they're eyes like augers, you know, or eyes like ice, mm-hmm. and you know, like comparing, like how piercing somebody's gaze is. 
or or how cold or or hot you know angry it, yeah like, and for me at this point we're not seeing a whole lot of it yet my i don't have a whole lot of complaint about it yet but i feel like i will in in later books when he starts describing mm-hmm. you know people's voice being so chilling that they made the ice storm seem warm or something like that like yeah. these, like these sorts you can hear of the ice cracking in their voice yeah it's, it's just like hmm. a few of them are really really good but it's, in the future i'll be funny. bringing this up more for sure uh the one with voices that always like uh jumps directly to my mind are you about is, to say uh, the one in the rune lords no there was uh, a really in, good one in the rune lords in uh, in the wheel of time like oh. a description he uses a lot uh voices are often described as melodious hmm but they're all the time there are many voices in the wheel of time that are described as melodious really yeah damn it i hadn't picked up on that one yet now i feel like i'm gonna notice that one every time yeah, there, there are even a few in... <laughs> Insert glass-shattering noise. Yeah, uh, there are a few in The Great Hunt. Selene, Damn. At, at, a, at a couple of points, is described as having, a, like, a melodious voice. And um, uh, and there's some, like, accents that are even described as melodious. What is so. melodious? Like, what does a melod- melodious voice even sound like? I, I'm not even sure I can... I, it sounds like she's I about always, to break into song. Yeah, like, I always, like, just kind of... I my like mental image was, like, yeah, something kind of, know, like... Like, Kind of like high and smooth. Interesting. I just did a search (laughs) in book function for the Great Hunt. The word melodious. Zero results found. Really? Yeah. But I mean, there are a few because he he definitely talks about (laughs) Celine's voice like in in that like song like style. I know. I'm I'm 99% certain in our first introduction of Moiraine in the Eye of the World, the first time we meet her, we get the word melodious. Mm -hmm. I know that because that's one of my formative as well you know, adjectives for Moiraine's character in my head because that's how she was introduced melodious. She's got a voice like silver bells. Now that we've said it, so I know I'm going to just, like, use the word melodious like eight times in the next week. Uh, so <laughs> the first time they meet Celine, it says she she laughed musically. Ah. So it's, that's you the know, same thing. Damn yeah. near the same thing, yeah. Like, what is, I, again, what is laughing musically? Like, it's rhythmic and in tune? I don't know. It's... Like I said, though, I, I recognize that he, he has a few stylistic tendencies that he falls back on, but it doesn't bother me. I don't think it makes the writing weaker. Um, it's it's fine. Yeah. I mean, it, what do you think, Rob? You're wrong. It's it, Well, I mean, it's clearly shit. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's obviously in this discussion. He's a terrible writer, and uh, that's that's it. Ow, that <laughs> even hurts to joke about. I, can, I don't know. And, and the podcast is over podcast now. The is over, guys. <laughs> let's, go get, let's go get drunk. Let's, yeah, let's, well, I think we need to after that. Damn. <laughs> I'm hungover today, Scaling. so I, I, hate, I hate everything today. You know what? So. I'm, I'm a little hungover, too, actually. I'm, I'm struggling to get through my, my drink right now, actually. Um, but it's, it's also one of my favorite liquors, so it's not struggling... I'm not struggling yeah. too much. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll get oh, to what we're drinking <laughs> yeah. at the end of the episode. Oh yeah, we'll definitely get there. But mine is but, cla- I'm classy today. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, sticking with the style discussion. Yeah, sticking with style. You wanted to uh, uh, bring up there, Rob? Uh, you know, there. I don't think there are at the moment. Um, my notes are a little more haphazard today. They're all over the place. I didn't actually formally go through, and uh, you know, sort them out. So if I find more on my phone, it, it's going to look like I'm, yeah, you know, ignoring you guys. But I'm just going through my phone here. <laughs> Um, but if I find any more, uh, anything decent about his style that I wrote down that I'm forgetting about, I'll bring it up and I'll try to make it smooth. But at the, you know, cool. at this point, I don't think I have much more about his style quite yet. So, 
I do. Um, okay. And, and I want to get your opinions on this. And that, that being uh, the way Robert Jordan writes specifically sword fights. Ah. You know, uh, with the sword forms. Uh, okay. I know a lot of people don't like this. They they don't like... Who know, doesn't the, like this? The names. I, I see it all the time in, like, forums and, like, Reddit fantasy, for instance. Like, for, like there have been... There's been a lot of hate on the Wheel of Time recently. I think I brought this up in the Eye of the World episodes. Like, I maybe it's just because the series is getting a little more press now with the TV show, but I've seen a lot of hate on the Wheel of Time uh, in, like, the Brandon Sanderson Facebook groups and on Reddit Fantasy and things like that, where people are posting all the time now saying, like, oh, I, I got 100 pages into the first Wheel of Time book and I hate it, and then it's, like a hundred comments of people hating on the Wheel of Time in the replies. Uh, and I've seen it Damn. a lot in there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had to get that one in there. Let's go fight them. Yeah. I've seen it a lot in there where people complain about the way he describes sword fights. And and personally, I like it. I think it's unique. I think it's original. It's and And... I disagree with the main complaint many people have with it. That being that you're like, oh, well, you have no idea what they're doing. It's just like no, it's words bullshit. thrown you can, out. You can, you and, can form but, that image Yeah, my point and why I like it and why why I think it's so um, uh, deftly done on Robert Jordan's part is that you know you can kind of develop an image of what exactly they're doing based on the description of the sword yeah. form, right? You know, like. Moon like rises you, over the water. Hear, Hummingbird kisses yeah. the humming rose. Cat dances on hot sand. You get these yeah. very. When you when you see like boar rushes down the mountain, you get this impression of like hammering overhand blows and yes. like river undercuts the bank where you literally mm. drop down on your knees and slice mm. up. You know, parting the silk kills. Yeah, parting the silk. Yeah, and uh, heron waiting in the rushes and balance of course. And so, you know, these are things that you people know, are stupid. Uh, like if if you just take even half a second to really consider the words you're reading, it it is descriptive. It it does give you a, a great mental image. But it's something that like you can't be a passive reader. You know, you have to actively engage with the text. Hmm. So And this is something I, I think other oh sorry, go ahead, Rob. Oh, uh, I guess like I, I like it too. I like it but I almost liked it in dare I say it, I like a like I love a kung fu movie when they do the same thing and they start like naming off the this you know the um the the poses and the stances the same yeah. sort of thing. That that was quite an, an adventure we just had there. A smoke alarm went off in the middle of our episode and yeah. we had to you know uh, temporarily put aside. We had to make sure that Rob and Drew packets. were not about yeah. to you know record an episode in a burning house. Happy. Yeah, so but mild. but so I, we were I I think. We were discussing uh, like the sword forms uh, before that. Yes. that all went yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, but we all we all like like uh, what Robert Jordan did with that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think I'll take it a step further. Anybody who says differently is a dumbass. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I like it because I viewed it as campy, but I still liked it. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah. That's another thing I was going to bring up. I mean, we do see other authors starting to kind of. I don't know, borrow a little bit from Jordan's style with their fight sequences. I think I, I think it was Rune Lords where I noticed a little bit of that. I don't want to say for sure, but there was we definitely have covered another series or book on this podcast where there were forms in the fighting that were very, very much like oh damn it. I'm starting to think this is maybe outside the podcast reading that I was doing. Well, so there 
there was um like one thing in Rune Lords where there's like a style of knife fighting called like dancing arms, but that's the only like name Might not have thing been I can Lords remember then. in that because it was a, there were there were a uh, few blatant examples and I was wondering do I bring this up on the podcast but maybe maybe we hadn't actually done that book on the podcast yet I'll I'm gonna huh. harken back to this moment. I don't know, 10, 100 episodes later from now, I'm going to say, remember during the Great Hunt Part 2, I brought this up? This I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back sometime in the future. Like, you should mm-hmm. do like an extra episode where you try to reenact the forms. I'm sure that would be awesome. <laughs> I actually Patreon have some, some ideas <laughs> I've had for Patreon exclusive episodes and switching up our format type. Yeah. Drew, I'll talk to you, that about, I'll talk to you about later. What the hell did I just try to say? <laughs> Give us money to watch us make fools of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's a user-submitted sword fighting stances. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That you have to make up. Do the old the old uh, classic uh, like Watt Mania humor sword forms. Cat killed crossing courtyard. Whoa. You know? <laughs> See, I, w- I wasn't really around for the early 2000s Watt Mania like the, uh, the jokes and stuff. I was, you know, like 11, 12 years old. What's up, everybody? Hey, yeah, we have we've kind of an audience today. Sweet, my posse. I'm not allowed to go places without. How odd to have an audience when we're talking about books, right? It's not like exactly yeah. what we're doing already. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't have any more like stylistic things to talk about. Uh, at least as far as the Great Hunt goes. Yep. Um, I just want to discuss Jordan's ability real quick to build tension up across an entire book, and I, specifically with. Jeffrem Bornhold's points of view when he's investigating the Shan Chan and their uh-huh. presence on Toman Head. I mean, the, the, like they—they they were, we didn't really meet Shan Chan right away. We just kind of saw yeah. the evidence of their passing, for lack of a better term. And um, I don't know, like they—there's going back. I remembering as an eleven, as a twelve-year-old reading this, I wasn't too concerned with the Shan Chan at that point, mm. but. If I think if I were to go back and read that now, I think I would be creeped out by those scenes a lot more. I mean, the, the Shan Chan in this book, now that I'm reading it with more experienced eyes, I mean, they are being presented as a huge obstacle already. Despite yeah. the fact that, of course, their ever-victorious army was kind of thwarted at the end. I mean, this is just the first glimpse of what's to come, right? Yeah, definitely. And this is only, you know, a small part of... Yes. As we see, uh, the forerunners, and uh, that's not even to speak of the return. Yeah, you know, which is <laughs> whew. those who come so, before. I think we actually got them described as those who come before, which uh, kind the, of yeah, they're they're called. That's like the the proper, you know, because because it's an old translation. The uh, Highland, yeah, yeah. Uh, or Hylene. Um It's uh, you know, old tongue translations are not exact. Yeah. So at at different points they're called those who come before and they're called the forerunners. Hmm. So yeah. yeah, sweet. So should we start uh, discussing our characters then? Sure. All right. Where <laughs> else do you start besides Randall Thor? Am I right? All right. Yeah. Randall Thor. Um, this guy he he kind of frustrated me a little bit. Not much. I mean, I still empathized with a lot of what he was going through. Uh, I should say sympathized. I don't know, not empathized. But, you know, he has it a lot better right now than he, I think he, he appreciates. I don't think he's remembering just how terribly he had it before Moiraine returned to Camelot and found them. I mean, he and Matt were starving. They, Matt was sick with a yeah. dagger, and 
you know, they were being chased by dark friends and sleeping under under hedges and under bushes and stuff like that. We hear him a lot now in this book, kind of griping about his current circumstances and how he wanted to. He, he just wishes he could go back to when things were even more simple, you know, and just he was just fleeing dark friends and not having to face the truth of his identity and his destiny and his impending madness. I'm just like, God damn it, Rand! You're wearing a shirt that could buy a house. You're wearing kind of boots whiny, that could buy a, a whiny little bitch. Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> you, you, like, I mean, it, I, it's just I don't know. I think he was a little ungrateful of Lorraine. I, I lady was elf. No, sorry, nowhere near as annoyed with Rand as my memory suggested in in the Great Hunt. Uh, reading through it this time, I didn't have a problem with Rand. Really? Um, yeah, I, I maybe it's you know in part because I know where he's going, um, but. But even then, his reluctance seemed legitimate in you know to me. It, it it makes sense that he's acting the way he is, that he's afraid of what you know could potentially lie in his path. He doesn't trust Aes Sedai. He all he knows is that legends of the dragon are bad news, and now he's been told that he's the dragon. But he also has context saying, the Aes Sedai are not to be trusted. I don't believe I'm the dragon. I don't want to believe I'm the dragon. So I see them as trying to use me as a false dragon. And yeah. that's, like, even worse, you know. So, of course he would be reluctant to to take those first steps down that road. Because to him, it's a lie. And it's not till the end of the book when, he, when that second heron is branded on his hand and, and he's like, okay, I can't deny it. And that's, you know... And that's when he makes the choice yeah, at the I end. I think I have to disagree with you a little bit. I think he's being willfully ignorant. I mean, if it looks like it, smells like it, sounds like it, tastes like it, maybe it's, it's time to start considering that you're not being bullshitted. Maybe you are, maybe as much as you don't like it, the idea of it, you know, it's time to start accepting the hints. And, and like, he's just, I don't know, he just, he throws aside... A, a few too many clear signs that's like, hey, dude, you are the Dragon Reborn. You are a very powerful Tavir and probably the strongest to ever have walked the Earth. Like, you are, you could indirectly be causing a lot of misfortune and chaos just because you're you're pouting, because you're refusing to accept your destiny. I mean, he's basically, it, it, I said in the last episode, he's, he's like a, he's a, you know, late teens. I guess... Angsty, and he's basically got like a cancer diagnosis in a way. So it's like you get yeah. bad news. Yeah. It's like I'm gonna maybe get some cancer you know, that could affect it's, other it's, people too. You yeah, could harm those you love. True. I mean, I it's, get how it's like. Yeah, the stages of grief. So he's like, it's the d denial stage for a little while, and then eventually acceptance. He just goes sure, through yeah. different. I, I guess know, what really exemplified like that. that for me though is his refusal to to, you know, to let go of the fact that Tam is his father, which is a terrible. It's it's hard. I can I can just imagine how hard that would be. But, I mean, even even with as much information, as much hints as we got early, early in the eye of the world. I mean, Rand, come on. The signs are there. Just accept it already. He, he, and, of course, he did at the very, 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 very end of the book. Um, which I suppose was a kind of a, a narratively quaint place to leave off the second volume at. But it's, it's almost I don't like know. he has a character arc or something. It's so strange. <laughs> yeah, but I just I hate how his character arc is, revolves around that so much. I and mean, like his acceptance of that. I don't know. I mean if he accepts it, I feel right like away, he's been willfully just, ignorant. Skipped this book completely. Yeah. That's how I wanna 
leave that off with. I feel like Rand was being willfully ignorant. And in this book, I didn't like him as much as I did in the first or going forward. So. I mean, we get very little of him. Yeah, in the, in the next, next one. But... We get very, very little. But it's some really cool stuff, isn't it? The little that we do see is, is chilling. <laughs> you gonna ice, man? Are you gonna, are you gonna chug it? Or no, some of it? No, I'm not. Just, oh, yeah, maybe I'll start. Just informed this. of this tradition called icing. Is that like a thing down there that everybody does? Or is that just specifically in your uh, group of it was, friends? It was a popular no, in like 2011. Popular no, then, while, now yeah. that I think on it, you were a little surprised that I hadn't heard it. So me, I, I guess that kind of answers my question. But I'm gonna start yeah. doing that around the house here. <laughs> going up to my mom to be like, here. What's this? Just drink. Like Your mom taking me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she would oh. probably do it. Anyway, uh, off ice aside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, sticking with characters, um, another character who, uh, whom I didn't mind as much as maybe my memory told me I should have, uh, was Egwene. I didn't have much of a problem with Egwene in this. Really? Book. I wasn't expecting yeah. that. I thought you were going to say she 90. was dumb. She was dumb. Okay. At a couple of points, uh, they all the Wonder Girls were were actively stupid to follow Leandrin. I mean, like all the warning. I signs, would argue that Nynaeve red necessarily wasn't just because she. I mean, Nynaeve caught on right away, but she had to go yeah, and just yeah. make sure that the Wonder Girls were okay, right? To, right. Yeah. Hmm. But but like the that's the only kind of moment. Um, that I like really was frustrated by Egwene in this book was outside the Waygate when they meet Surath and the and the Shanchan, and Egwene is just so dumb <sighs> in that dumb. moment. She she keeps like <laughs> asking Leandrin, and and is like not even worried about the fact that this soldier is walking up to her and this uh, Suldam is walking up to her, and she's like. She just keeps looking at Leandrin, and when Leandrin doesn't respond, and it clearly isn't going to, she keeps asking her instead of doing anything. I'm I, like, yes. I mean, she's not, she's not, yeah, she is just super naive, and like, that's, again, I, I like do the think growth, her like age needs to be considered. Yeah. I mean, she's what, 17 at this point? Yeah. Uh, yeah, about that. 16, 17. She's definitely not 18 yet. I don't think we have a specific birth date. Like, we don't know what season she was born in. Yeah, um, she was. 16. We know she's like a couple years younger than Randall Thor, and he starts she, the narrative. So at 18, she was right? sixteen at the beginning of Eye of the World. Rand was nineteen. I thought he was eighteen. Um, it's, it's the same thing. No, I mean yeah, you don't yeah. grow but a whole lot between eighteen it and nineteen. But yeah, yeah. it's like it's been about nine months since the beginning of Eye of the World. So Egwene probably is older. She's probably seventeen now. How old was yeah. Nynaeve at the start? 25, 26. I think. Oh, 25, 26. She's 26 like in A Crown of Swords. Gotcha. Yeah. Really? In yeah, six she, books she later? Specifically, she it... specifically tells Satel and in, in Crown of Swords that she's 26. Wow. So Nynaeve is younger than I am. Dang. There's a bit of a real uh, realistic slap in the face. Because I used to look at Nynaeve as like, ooh. Big, yeah, older woman, Min... scary. And I think Min is like a 23, 24, yeah. somewhere in there. She's she's older than Rand, but younger than Nynaeve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Galad you know, as well. He's in like in his mid Specific, Like in that scene, not the scene with, uh, you know, Siroth in her introduction with, you know, Leandrin. I'm talking mm-hmm. about the scene where they choose to leave the tower. Well, they don't choose. They are kind of <sighs> swept along. You know, it's like, hey, we need to go. 
And there, you know, in that scene, there was something about Nynaeve that I hadn't really appreciated much until this, you know, read through. And this is something I did mention in previous podcasts. But I just understand Nynaeve and her and her frustration so much more now. In that scene, we have Egwene's like, well, what's the danger? What's the danger? How can we help? You know, uh, Elaine, of course, no, Elaine was dismissed for that scene. But it's it's Nynaeve yeah. that's immediately, you can tell, she's she's the one that's suspicious. She's going, wait, mm-hmm. what kind of danger? What are you talking about? How can you know this? How, why do we yeah. trust you? But Egwene is just not even considering any of that. She's just like, oh my god, tell me where the danger is. I, I need to go help right now. You know? Adventure. Yeah. I can just see Nynaeve wanting to slap Egwene in that moment. Like, <laughs> bitch, shut up, you know? <laughs> Maybe that comes with our age because that know, could be, and that could be it. That, yeah, that, I mean, I'm willing to bet that probably re- is it. Rereading. Yeah. What about you, Drew? Nynaeve? Um, you you uh, empathize was, with her struggles with a little more, frustrations a bit more. I, I yeah, I like Nynaeve. She's one of my favorite. Yeah, you've the, never really had much to complain yeah. about on Nynaeve's front. No, uh, I'm I'm a big Nynaeve fan. So yeah, in I, the past, I thought she I did, comported but... herself very well outside the Waygate. Mm-hmm. You know, she's She's the one who avoided being collared and got Elaine, you know, out of there and yep. fought off a bunch of Shanchan and a Damane. Yep. And, and we, uh, we, showed, we she was quite resourceful. Yep. And we got to see her taking a bit of that leadership role when she's, you know, formulating the plan to save mm-hmm. Egwene, right? When yeah. she is, when she's how she's willing to kind of change the plan on the fly and say, you know what, we have our own Damane, don't we? Right here with the Sildam. You know, she's. I do like seeing the Nynaeve kind of take charge and pull those girls out of the fire that they've landed themselves in. That was a bit yeah. satisfying. There's, there's a bit more of that that I picked up on this read that I've never really appreciated before. Was it in this book that she figured out that you had to channel to control be controlled the, by the uh, Adam? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was, the Sildam are that also... Was, yeah. yeah, that was in this yes. book. I think it was Egwene yeah, that made that connection, though, wasn't it? No, that says, they're the ones that can learn. Oh, oh, who made, like, the learning connection. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember exactly when that's figured out. But but it's certainly Nynaeve, you know, when they... When they, uh... Capture... Is it Seta they capture? Se- yeah, yeah, Sita, Seta, whatever her name was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that Nynaeve is the one who... Like, realizes, you know, like... That, yeah. oh... This collar works on you too. And you know another slight difference from when I was a teenager till now. When when Rena, I think is is Egwene's mistress, yeah. walks in the door, the and Egwene one. gets that. Oh, she she, goes. she gets that moment of glory where she just grabs the pitcher and she smashes it into her abdomen and she just climbs on her and starts punching her and punching her. As a teenager, <laughs> I was going yes yes get her get her Egwene. As a adult now, I'm reading it's this. Kind of going, horrifying. I'm going oh my god, some this poor girl, somebody stop her, somebody pull her off. I mean like. like the, the not, one not, that not really gets that I me sympathize is, with the Sildam, but is the it's it's not even the like physical abuse that Egwene heaps upon her. It's when Egwene puts on the bracelet yeah. and like the description where she like covers her mouth with yeah. both hands and then Rena's whole body convulses. Yeah, I mean that like, that's a side of like, cruelty in Egwene that we yeah. that we hadn't seen before and yeah. will never see again. She goes the rest from of the series. It's just it, I guess it kind of really shows how much torture she had been through and, and kind of explains her total lack of caring for anything re- regarding negotiations with a Sean Chan later but she goes, god yeah, she goes from it was sweet, hard to innocent, see innocent naive to a basically a sociopath <laughs> yeah <laughs> and naive has book. the point yeah. she's like you, you know wanting to get back at them is okay but you can't 
let them make you like they are. And that's yeah. all I could think when I saw Egwene torturing her former mistress. I was like, damn, I don't remember feeling that horrified before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good point. Um, and, and we see it going forward with Egwene. I mean, not to get into details, but like she, she has a tendency toward violence. She's a very quick trigger, so to speak. Yeah, going yeah, that's true. With so. uh, <laughs> with some white cloaks that I'm in a yeah, specific yeah. spot that I'm thinking of. Yeah, that's that's definitely one of them. Um, uh, but I just like sticking with the the kind of the Falme uh, character group there. Sure. Um, uh, very quick aside, but the oh. return of Deus Ex Domon. <laughs> uh, once again, when somebody is in yeah. need of an escape. Bale Domana is there with his ship, just in case. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they don't actually use him this time, but... No. He, and no, and but this will not be the last time that Deus Ex Domon makes an appearance in the series, so... No, no. But, I mean, he still hasn't really... Well, I was going to say, he hasn't been altogether that much of a... Uh, useful yet, but no, what am I saying? The first time we met him, oh, yeah. he just <laughs> rescued Randon Matt and Tom Marilyn from Shadar Logoth. What am I thinking? Yep. A couple of really cool things about Bale Domon I liked. I don't really have a whole lot about his character, but just some some winning lines out of this man. He's just so funny to read. It's just fun to read. I really you know? enjoy his chapters in this book, honestly. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, like Settle your bowels, man! The Alien chapter at the beginning where he's like trying to be set up and you know he handles that pretty well. Uh, I also love you know uh, the, the easing the badger reference that mm-hmm. we get early on in the book. And then... And then, yeah, his his one scene with um, uh, the High Lord Turak, where Domon's like trying to figure out how to get out, and uh, yeah, it's <laughs> I don't know, like he's he's fun, like he's he's really competent, but he's he's a genial guy, you know, he's yeah, he's the he's, kind of person that I would like to know. He's the kind and, of guy that dresses up as Santa, isn't he? Party. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. totally is. Brings a little joy into everyone's world. I like Bale Domon. He's, he's a cool guy. We got to see, we got to meet, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Iginen for the first time. That was yes. kind of cool, seeing where she yep. is in her life at this point. A confident captain in her own right. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else do we want to discuss? I, I, mean, I definitely want to discuss a whole lot about Ingtar, but that's a yeah. big discussion. Is there any, any yeah. like, minor characters you want to throw out of the way first? Um... Oh, Loyal. What am I saying? Loyal. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's talk about Loyal. I, I do want to talk about Barthanes, but Ooh. I may save that uh, uh, for a bit, like, going into the lore kind of stuff. So, Barthanes? Yeah. Hmm. Um, just a couple of things with him, actually. But What there is about Barthanes. But, but let's, let's talk okay. about Loyal yeah. first here. Oh, yeah. I loved Loyal in this book. Like, hands down, I, 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 I did say previously that Ingtar was my favorite in this book. I think he still is. But I forgot yeah. just how much I loved Loyal in this book. Loyal came close. His he's just so devoted to his friends, particularly Randall Thor. And you could argue that yes, maybe it's Tavir in in, in Rand's nature to pull those around him. But we don't see anybody who is as like I don't want to use the word, but I will loyal. Just yeah, <laughs> to Rand. <laughs> We just, I mean, he's so, he, he's just so dependable. He's so polite. He's so naive. You know, when, um, uh, for example, this might have been in the first half of the book, and I forgot to bring this up, but when, um, no, 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 it was definitely in the second half, right where we picked up here, when Stating Dina, so no, Dina, when she enters oh, Dina, the common oh, room to try yeah, to dice with everybody, <laughs> and he's like, 
You don't think she was cheating, do you, friend? You don't think that she would... Oh, like, he's just so clueless, right? The, the, the Trollocs show up, and one attacks Rand, and he's getting choked by one, he's being held by one, and then suddenly the hands fall away, Loyal is literally struggling in the street. Wrestling a Trolloc. He's like, and there's something about that line, hold on, Rand, hold on. There's something about that that just... I just got this burst of affection for Loyal. Like, yeah. yes! Get him, Loyal, you tell him. I, I feel exactly the same way, and there was another point where... where you have to use your words. I had like a burst of affection for Loyal. Yeah, it's in Steading Sofu when he's like, "I'm just gonna sit out here and and read. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit here and read." Okay. okay. And like, <laughs> yeah. he was like, you can tell he's so uncomfortable. He's he's so scared of what's gonna happen, and and but like the consequences for it are almost comically light in comparison to everything else that's going on in the story, where there's like, you know, like. A, a literally existential threat. The shadow is coming over the land. The Horn of Valir is is lost. You know, Matt is gonna die. Like all this stuff. And Loyal's worried that they're gonna send word to his mother. Yeah. Like and it was just so cute. Like <laughs> yeah, how his biggest his biggest fear is being married. But yeah. Aerith, you do think that she was rather beautiful, don't you? Yeah. You know, she gave me a flower. You know, like, she had, uh, was it was it in this book that he starts talking about her ears? Uh, I don't think it was. I think it's in the future, isn't it? it I think and it's then, in the future. I don't remember specifically. <laughs> He's like, if, please understand. You know, I'm not ears. crude on purpose. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, not yeah. who I am. You know. Don't judge my fetish. <laughs> <laughs> don't kink shame me, Rand. Please. Oh, <laughs> what a guy! Loyal is just a gem. He's a gem. He's just like a. He's he's like he's what puppy. nine, ten feet tall, but he's like a cute little teddy bear. At the same yeah, time, totally it's the is. weirdest. It's the weirdest juxtaposition. I can't get enough of Loyal going forward. This is awesome. <laughs> Rand and yep. loyal shipper. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, but let's. <laughs> Did you say shipper? Shipper. Shipping. Oh, God. No, we're, we're not getting into oh, this podcast. This is not a thing we will ever do. Oh, that, that's an image I'm never going to get out of my head. Actually, that's a lie. There's there's one there's one couple I will I will ship, and but that's not for. We won't get to that book for a long time. So in the wheel of time. Not in the Wheel of Time. Oh. It's in a different series. Oh, well then, yeah. Okay. yeah. Is this a series we, I know? We, it is a series. Yeah. It, it's clearly... It's the Stormlight and, Archive. And the Dream oh. Couple is clearly Loyal and Lanfear. I have a few ships here. Yeah, so okay. Loyal and Lanfear. That'd what about Kurin and Lanfear? No, we're not getting into this. We're not <laughs> I didn't hear any of those names. Damn it. I want to get... Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, I want to talk just a little bit about Varen uh, okay. before we go into Ingtar. Because Sweet. Varen uh, mm. was extraordinarily interesting to me in the second half of this book because as I the more I considered it the more I began to realize and 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 start looking for things because Varen is is a dark friend right well she's black Aja yeah she's ostensibly a dark tomato friend. potato um well she's a light friend but she's black Aja yeah she's a double um, agent. <laughs> or a triple agent uh, I think she but would be so so a lot of her interactions with characters in the second half of this book are with other dark friends. Yeah, yeah. And and I I yep. didn't start really looking at it from this perspective until uh, like until uh, the the party at Barthanes's yeah. manor. Yes, uh, yeah. When it the way Varen 
and Ingtar interact. Uh-huh. And then the way Varen and Barthanes interact. Like, there's the one description where Hurin, you know, he goes and gets Rand, and then he tells Rand, I, I tried to get Ingtar, but he was talk, Or, I tried to get Varen, but she was talking with Barthanes. And she gave him such a when, look. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, of course. She needed to prevent Hurin from getting close, because she and Barthanes were totally talking dark friend things. Yeah. <laughs> Dark friend talk. Dark yeah. friend social. They were having their yeah, mini, yeah, yeah, mini right. little dark friend social there. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it was it was really cool then to see her interactions with Ingtar over the second half of the book, and then even more so after the portal stone. Mm. Right? Oh, with Varen because, after the portal stone. See, for me it was Ingtar, but... Well, yeah, Varen? that's that's a big part of it, is her interactions with Ingtar after Ingtar has gone through it. And he's seen all of these lives where he tries to break free of the shadow and he can't. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I I just... There's a lot of interest with Varen in the second half of this. The things like her knowledge about portal stones, where she says she's actually visited the portal stone on Tomon Head. Yeah. you know, like, that, Which I found, like, a little convenient, I will say. I'm like, oh, come uh, on. Yes. All of the portal stones that Varen would have to have... It would happen yeah. to have had experience but, but with again, the one on like, head, really. Convenience, the name of the game is Taviran. <laughs> I guess. And, and, that, that's and she just, even like, what a nice remarks little on that, right? Narrative oh, device that Robert Jordan created, yeah. crafted for himself for this There's specific like, thing. For you, you, yeah, you can't yeah. accuse anything in the Wheel of Time as deus ex machina anymore because there's a built-in like convenient justification for it. system. I mean, yeah. with, I feel at the end of this book, the horn could have been considered a bit of a... No, but I, I because, it, but, yeah, because it, what a deus ex machina is, like, by definition, is something that was totally absent throughout, like, like, the where that term originally came from was in, like, Greek plays, where you have a human conflict, right, and then everything's gone so much to shit that at the end of the play, a god literally just, like, comes down and makes everything good. Okay. Because there's no other possible way to fix the situation and and so like it, even though the god wasn't in the play at all up to that yeah. point so like it's more of a Chekhov's gun with the horn I guess yeah exactly yeah, that, the, yeah. I, it, it's Robert Jordan was smart about how he built this world where he he recognized the things that could be construed as deus ex machina and then built in foreshadowing for all of them so you can't really like it doesn't come across as a um, unearned or or uh, flimsy or things like that because there's an in-world pre-explained reason for mm. why it can happen. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that was that was kind of all I wanted to say about Varen. Um, uh, but if so we want to move into have, Ingtar, I mean, this is... Now, the, here's the, the thing. Most, we have some a, a couple of listener yeah. questions and they each... One uh, involves Ingtar, one involves... Varen, do you want to discuss those uh, separately in the context of those specific characters, or do you want to save those listener oh. questions for one? No, let, let's, do, let's do the Varen one. Now, yeah, let's please. do the Varen one now. Yeah. This one here comes from Joy Kristen Allen, and she asks, "What did Varen see in all of her lives in the Portal Stone?" So you can see why I wanted to bring this up right here because this is exactly the subject of discussion at the moment. This Portal mm-hmm. Stone and the lives that she saw when she went through. What do you think? So, I, 
I'll preface this by saying, like, there are no real answers here. We don't of have, like, you know... We can only uh, speculate. ...quote from RJ on it. We don't have, like, Team Jordan stuff. Or, but but as far as speculation goes, the, the, the things for me that I have to imagine she saw were uh, uh, revolving around her exile from farmatting and her... Um, studies of the Black Aja that got her into the situation where she was basically confronted with the choice of swear oaths to the Dark One or die. Yeah, or die. Yeah. So I, I think she probably saw alternate ways, you know, she probably saw times where she did die, where she wasn't given the opportunity to swear and she was just killed. She was probably she probably saw versions of her life where she never left farm adding and never even learned she could channel because she spent her entire life inside the guardian's influence, things like that. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with with pretty much everything you just said. Uh, of course, this is highly speculative. We don't really have any extra detail from from Robert Jordan, but you know, just based on the kind of lives that we saw Rand experiencing, you know, I just I, mm -hmm. I can only imagine that. Varen's experiences would have been filled with, you know, um, as Drew, as you mentioned, her her exile from farmatting, her her I guess kind of forced turn to the shadow, but more than that, I can only imagine that it would have included a lot of her, a lot of the results of her trying to make amends, of her trying to leave the Dark Friends, and I think she would have been given really stunning example after stunning example of just how great of a hold the dark one has on someone's soul once they have sworn the oaths mm -hmm. um so i can I, just I, imagine I like it so, go ahead clarification question uh, um i guess I, it might be a dumb question but was she already a double agent at this point or did she decide along the way to essentially well, be well i think how she justified it later yeah, yeah. was oh, that she, she was definitely a double agent already, yeah. already at this point she i think already just, in her explanation to Egwene later she explains that in that moment she decided part of her her whole reason for joining the dark friends was she wanted to study them from the inside mm -hmm. so i think she was pretty yeah. self-aware of what yes. she was doing even yeah, at she, the moment i don't gotcha. think she was ever like properly a dark friend she no. never wanted to serve the shadow. I think she, she was actually she was studying the Black Eyed yes. and over the course of her studies, got in over her head, and her choice was swear the oaths and live and continue studying and work to undermine them from the inside, or refuse to swear. God, and die. I'm just I, now I realizing the parallel between her and another character from the Stormlight Archive in that particular respect. Not as a dark friend, of course, not working for towards evil, yeah, but... Yeah, I, I know where you're going with that. Yeah, you know where we'll, I'm going we'll, with that. We'll touch on that more when we get to the Stormlight Archive. I hadn't considered that. It's interesting. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anything more about Varen? Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't... Yeah. There, There isn't anything in particular that I imagine, like, we know that can inform more of what she may or may not have seen in those Portal Stone lives. Uh... You know, the, it has to be mostly just like farm adding stuff, and then the black aja. Yeah. So before we get on um, from Varen, though, I actually just found another long point. Actually, I made about Varen. Well, actually, two, but one's really, really short. Just really quickly. Wow, foreshadowing, Robert Jordan. Well done. Oh, the, yeah. Those hints that we got about Varen being a dark friend in the very, very beginning of this series is is unbelievable. Specifically, when Warren says, 
I didn't send Varen. She came on her own. Yeah. You know? yeah. Boom! Red flag. Did not catch up on that for 15 like, years. There's, there's I think no it was. I said I wiggle room on that one. <laughs> there is like, none. I still didn't pick up on that until the revelation in the Gathering Storm. I was like, oh my god. I felt so dumb. I felt so yeah. dumb. But one thing that Varen seems to have going for her character is she seems to have a lot of unexpected knowledge. And like we were just discussing about the portal stones. That too, yes. But even about the Shoid and Kal, she had a lot of, of, of knowledge about those two things, like those those saw Angriel. Mm-hmm. Um she knows way more than I expected, and in other ways she knows she knows less, but that is to be expected. And I quoted her here. The two must be used in unison to handle enough of the one power to break the world. That was the way in the Age of Legends. A man and a woman working together were always ten times as strong as they were apart. And what Aes Sedai today would aid a man in channeling. One by itself is powerful enough, but I can think of a few women strong enough to survive the flow through the one on Tremalking. The Amarlin, of course. Moiraine and Elida, perhaps one or two others. By the way, one of those couple others, that has to be Cadswain, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And three still in training. As for Loghain, it would have taken all his strength simply to keep from being burned to a cinder, with nothing left for doing anything. No, Ingtar, I don't think you need worry. Does she not understand how powerful Loghain is? So, no, she doesn't. There, This was like my last point on Varen. Um, sure. There are several points in this book where Varen, despite being brown and despite having a lot of knowledge, is flat out wrong. Yeah. Um, she talks about Damane being able to sense men who can channel. Oh, did she? I didn't pick up on uh, that. Yeah, she she. Oh, yeah, that, that glance that she gave Rand and then Inktar so is like, she, she says straight out, as they're planning on like yeah. going in and choosing who can go and who can't, she says, I can't go. My presence will be sensed. If if I were to channel, the D- the Demane would immediately know I was there. Even if a man channeled, perhaps they might know. And I Inktar's think she said like, perhaps oh, a man. Yeah, I don't know if she... But, but that's that, that just goes to show, she doesn't know. Yeah. If she if she really had complete information, she wouldn't even bother mentioning that. Yeah. Like she she would like it would be a, a non concern. Also, praise have the fact that each of those yeah. Shoid and Cal is strong enough to break the world on its own. Yes. Um. And so I want to bring up the strength thing, like where you talked about Logan. Um, yeah. So we know Logan could channel enough to control. Oh yeah, he is strong. We also know that. Uh. Moiraine, Elida, Swan, they probably could not. Yeah. They are I not agree with that enough. too. Um Cadsween, maybe. Uh Egwene, Elaine, maybe. I mean like Nynaeve could oh, barely yeah. do it. Well, and she's one of the strongest. What like, makes you, you what, know, why do you say barely do it though? Was it because of her of how she was left off at the end of Winter's Heart? Yeah, because so, that I mean, was it, not it a was, usual use of the Schwedding Cal. No, that was, it was hours not, and it hours. It was not usual, but um, but even from the get go when they start channeling, Nynaeve like groans. Like, sure, and, but and that's she, like a, that's ecstasy, talks. right? That's not like struggle. No, no, like she she's like oh, it's so much. Like it's uh, it, it Nynaeve was not um, like she could probably use the Choid on call, all right, for short amounts of time. But, like, certainly, uh, Moiraine and Elida and Swan could not handle oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Like, they, would, they would just be erased yeah. Yeah, yeah. from existence. They, they would be burned <laughs> out or, or, or just completely consumed. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, there there are a few things like that with Varen where, because she has so much knowledge, it's easy to take everything she says at her word, and just use that you know going forward and be like, all right, these are things we know, and then you find out later on that oh wait a second, like Varen did not know. <laughs> no, no, so. she speculates, but she doesn't. She doesn't know. And I guess it kind of goes to show the, I don't want to say folly, but just the inexperience of the Brown Aja. I mean, they are, the Aes Sedai as an institution in general, they don't know everything. They claim to know a lot, and they do know some, but they definitely don't know everything. Yeah, so I guess that kind of wraps up Varen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to start talking about my favorite character, Mr. Ingtar? Let's do it. Okay. Ingtar. This is the big one. This is the big one. Ingtar has, for the entirety of my experience with the Wheel of Time, been one of my top three, maybe, let's say top five favorite characters in the entire yeah. series. It was awesome. It just that's fair. The like the character journey we got with Ingtar over such a short narrative amount of time, bravo! It was so well done. Like in a million years I never would have caught on my first read through that Ingtar was a dark, was a dark friend like he was yeah. quite literally I, w- I might have even considered like some more of our main characters or, or, or at least tertiary characters being tar- uh, dark friends before Ingtar Shinawa I mean the consummate warrior the one who spends it like the one who just faces down Trollocs and Murdral like like for breakfast in the morning as a mm-hmm. workout routine you know mm-hmm. god it was so hard to, to, to read his revelation at yeah, the end that there. Was a powerful scene. His, like, his reasoning, like he doesn't even come right out and say it. He just starts listing all these reasons and, mm-hmm. and, and going over his logic there. And you, it you know, Jordan. only logical. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jordan only kind of, he lets the reader draw the conclusion before Ingtar even says anything about it, like, even confirms it. Yeah. But it was just, it was so hard. And then, of course, on a reread, that completely changes the entire character of Ingtar and all these things that he's doing, these little things that he says, these moments with Ingtar that you go, oh my god. Like, that that line reads totally different mm-hmm. now that I know what's going through his head. There is a moment when, oh, when the, the horn escapes from, you know, Kyrian, goes through the ways, yes. and they try to follow, and, you know, Machin Shin is there, and then Ingtar he just collapses and he goes we are lost i, I am, lost. am lost well yeah he says we are lost i am lost like he yeah. says one and then after the other and then when you realize yeah. what he means i am lost he's specifically talking about his his, his destiny, soul his soul yeah, he's, his, he, he's he, damned yeah he sees no possible salvation yeah and, and that was such a you know such a powerful through line this this whole you know, prophecy around the horn, think not of glory, but only of salvation. And Ingtar sees that, you know, he, he's like, that's my lifeline. That's my, the one strand I can cling to, to bring myself back to the light. Yeah. And this, this is a really neat jumping off point for another listener question that we had um, from Facebook. And I apologize if I get your name wrong, my man. Uh, Rashid Kurugli wants to know, it, it, this is what he wrote. Specifically about Ingtar, he says, He was a dark friend, but overly obsessed with the Horn of Valir. I think all of his dialogues involve the Horn. It felt very much like compulsion. Do we have any info on that? Drew, I'll let you answer that one, dude. Compulsion? Uh, yeah. As he far says, as com- I know, he was not under any kind of compulsion. Right. Um, the, the only possible, uh, 
at least as far as we know, the only possible like compulsion that might have happened was from either Lanfear or um, Leandrin, because Leandrin had her little s semi-compulsion. Yeah, she has that kind that of she used on Lady Amelisa trick that she has. Uh, but yes. Lanfear did not know about the horn. Um, otherwise, she like Lanfear was all concerned about Rand. Wait, did and, you say Lanfear did not know about the horn? Uh, sorry, Leandrin. Leandrin. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Leandrin did not know about the horn in Feldara, and that was her only chance that she would have had to, uh, you know, get Ingtar under any kind of influence. Uh, Lanfear, again, she was not interested in in Ingtar. We also see her like going she was out not of her way to in the ignore horn the standard <laughs> yeah. dark friend structures. Um, and yeah, she wasn't interested in the horn. Yeah, all yeah, she I'll... cares about is Rand. Yeah. Uh, uh, but like, but but we see her throughout the series ignoring the existing dark friend structures. She doesn't utilize dark friends the way other Forsaken do, and in fact, we see her working at cross purposes with your one of the mill dark friends and your black Aja several times. She's she's so thoroughly focused only on Rand, on Loose Theron. Like there would be no reason for her to to put a compulsion on Ingtar. Um, I think it really is like Ingtar just saw the Horn of Valier as yeah. his only chance at salvation, so he became obsessed with it. That's that's exactly that? what I was going to say. You know, we don't really have any any reason to believe that anybody was even around Ingtar who had the motivation and the ability to place compulsion on him at any point. Right. Um, yeah. But you know, if you if you think about what the Horn of Valir represents to Inktar, I mean, this is his salvation. I am damned. I am a dark friend. Yeah. I he just lived all these lives in which he 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 sees in the, in the portal stone that no matter what he does, the Horn of Valir is not going to save him. But that's what he had been hoping for. That no amount of misdeeds, no matter how dark they are or how numerous, would have fully damned him. No man may walk in the shadow so long that he cannot again find the light. I forget what the idiom yeah, yeah. is. Yeah. But the Horn of Valir, uh, of Valir represented that to Ingtar. That was his salvation. That's how he saved his soul from the Dark One. And so, you know, that that provides plenty of motivation um, for him to try to recover. And of course, since he's a sworn Lord of Shinar, who's there on the blessing of Lord Agilmar himself, you know, he has all the, all the power of, of his station. You know, the... Inktar is just—he's a—he's a man perfectly brewed to 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 launch at the Horn of Valir. Like he is—he's—he's yeah. he's made for that purpose. Everything about Inktar culminated in the Horn of Valir. Yeah. So I I I hundred percent agree with you there, and and I I my opinion is not changed. I don't think he's under compulsion, but I do have to add. Um, Technically, it's also possible Varen could have done it because, as we find out later in the series, Varen also has like a compulsion type weave. Does she? Yeah, she uses it on all the captured I said I after Dumai's Wells, uh, who then swear fealty to Rand. Oh, uh, it's, there's like a scene in I think a Crown of Swords or Path of Daggers, uh, where she has individually each of these I said I brought to her tent, and she puts the weave on them and asks them. But anyway, I I also don't right. think Varen would have had any reason to to put Ingtar under compulsion. So, but but I want to get uh, Rob Winchell's opinions on Ingtar here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know you have you maybe some uh, some dissenting some opinions, some controversial opinions. Really, on yeah. awesome. I mean, you know, he's a hypocritical, whiny little, you know, bitch. Ooh. <laughs> oh, 
spicy words. Oh man, I, it's like I said, it's because justify I'm it though. So what I, do you mean? I like, hate everybody. At what point was he being a whiny bitch? <laughs> I mean, specifically, I don't like he he's he's held up as like we talked about in the last episode. Like I viewed him as just like cliche, super honorable, everything like that. But then he's also turns out to be a dark friend. I was like, oh, so you're a hypocrite. Got it. Okay. I, it just his his general arc was. His arc was fine. I think he was set up in a lot of good scenes, like his realization scene, uh, his death scene at the end. They're great, like individual moments. But like I, at the end of the day, his overall arc oh, to me I was forgot. you start you started as a hypocrite, and you know congratulations on, you know in the last five minutes of your life doing the best <laughs> to make up for but it. But that's the point. Great. It didn't have to be the last five minutes of his yeah, life, yeah. Yeah. but he wanted to die, for a reason. For yeah. doing exactly yeah. that, it didn't. I mean, those were the last five minutes of his life, but that's because he chose to end his life there. See, yeah, I, I do agree. His, like I like, like I said, he his arc is good. I didn't view him as like my favorite character in the book or anything. Sure. I just like, oh, this guy's a hypocrite, and you know, I, I you know, super tried to be honorable. I, at least I got the impression, like you said, I viewed his chasing as a horn as borderline obsession. Yeah. Like it wasn't. I didn't view it as any. Like, oh, I he was definitely obsessed. To, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, and I, I just like, it, I. I assumed it was obsession due to honor the first time through because it's like yeah whatever you know this guy is great but then yeah it's i don't know i, I just I, I viewed him as a, a hypocritical and i didn't like his inner like his inner struggles things like that it almost like i i feel like in a kind of a loose connection him and Rand had similar arcs like Rand's like uh similar thing like his like if he accepts he's the dragon reborn he's screwed like that's it ingtar's soul is essentially like Ingtar views himself as screwed and accepted it. Rand is struggling to accept a similar-ish fate of just you know he's he's boned sort of. I don't know. It's it's a loose connection. And again, no, I'm very hungover. So I I, <laughs> I I think you have a really valid point there. Uh, at least as far as like Rand's arc versus Ingtar's arc, it, not necessarily they have the same thing, but they're rather they're inversions of each yeah, other. Yeah, that's, a, that's where a better way to put it. Ingtar Ingtar has his responsibilities and and does not run from them. He faces them head on. And Rand is the one trying to run from his responsibilities. Yeah, you know, and so it's uh, the the only thing I would like really disagree with you on is like I I don't think I ever saw Ingtar as whiny. I do think he's a hypocrite. I might have just spent, said uh, that for effect. I know? think just by <laughs> definition, he is a hypocrite. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, but but that's also part of why I enjoy his his arc is because it's so tragic. Because he is he was misguided. He he made the wrong decisions for not great reasons but in the end he recognized that he made the wrong decisions and he recognized that his reasons weren't what he thought they were or mm -hmm. weren't as good as he thought they were and thus he strove to find redemption and he's know? willing to die which presumably yeah. is the exact reason that he switched to the shadow because most dark friends exactly. are not willing yeah. to die so that I mean well, that provides yeah, a perfect he, he even said straight up he's like i like i didn't want to die i didn't want to be just erased and forgotten i it would like better to live and make this peace with the shadow and uh and then as you said rob like dark friends are all about selfishness and Ingtar died in a selfless manner. Is Ingtar the only dark friend I, I can think of offhand that did convert back? Like, is there any that turned from the shadow? Varen. Well, Varen yeah, was never really... Well, yeah, 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 kind of. Yeah. Is there anyone else, or is he the only one that does actually Ooh. leave or convert back? Some people will argue that Asmodian did, 
Um, I don't believe you I, did. But I, I can see why I, people I would argue that. I do not yeah. buy that. I do not buy that. There, yeah. there are a lot of like Asmodian fanboys and girls out there. So. <laughs> I was one for a long uh, time. I was I was definitely an Asmodian yeah. fanboy for a long time. Uh, but but I, I do not. like. He, he was always self-interested. Mm. If he... If he like, like, he turned away and was actively trying to help Rand, but that was purely for reasons of self-preservation, because he knew, like, the moment Rand captured him and forced him to work with him, he knew he was done. And if he ever got back in the hands of the Shadow, the Dark One was not going to forgive him. Oh, and, man. You know, like, it was all self-preservation. It so wasn't like... he's So, yeah, Inktar is the only one that isn't... That- Essentially yeah, made yeah, complete yeah. that I can think of off the top of my head at least. So I'll, I'll give him that. Like he did, uh, it, it, they, he, Robert Jordan set it up to essentially be once you're in, once you're in, it's essentially you know like joining a gang. You can't get out. Like I feel like there's going to be one really obvious character that for some reason or another we're, we're missing right now, and then by the time this comes out, it's going to be like oh blank, how could you miss them? And we're going to be like oh my god, how could how did we miss that? I just feel but, like, like I don't know. I guess like you guys you guys mentioned like he was misinformed and he joined for the wrong reasons but I feel like you guys are very forgiving for him on that but like other characters make miss like bad decisions because they're uninformed or things like just earlier in the book like uh Egwene you know like she was she's not she's naive and stupid and she makes bad decisions and you know we have no problems calling her an idiot and but you know, Inktar was in the same place, but we forgive him because he has a dope death scene. Well, we forgive him because he recognized his, his, uh... Huber? No, how I'll misguided say his, he was. Yeah, misguided, he, he, yes. The, he, he recognizes it, and as far as I'm concerned, Egwene never has a she, shred I mean, of she, self-awareness. Yeah, she literally goes goes out. Until the yeah. moment she dies, so... Yeah, yeah not believing like, that she's ever in the wrong. <laughs> she never... She, here's the thing. No, yeah, Inktar she's, has she's self-doubt. That's the difference to me. Inktar yes. is yeah. is is self-aware enough to have doubts. Yeah. Egwene never doubts herself, even once. <laughs> no, no, she does not. As a seventeen-year-old. In fact, I'm going to go forward with a challenge. I would like somebody to 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 prove me wrong. Give me an example of one point in the series where Egwene has self-doubt. Oh, I mean, she has a couple of self-doubts, like right after she's raised Amerlin. But, really? Yeah, you know, she she feels overwhelmed, like in Saladar, and she's like, "Oh, and, this oh. makes no sense. Like, I don't, I don't belong here. Like, what, what is maybe. going on? You know, but, maybe." And we'll, but we'll she definitely also discuss very that a lot quickly. More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She very quickly just is like, "No, no, I deserve this. Yeah. This is this is me." But one more quick um, Inktar moment that I had to give just give a great shout out to was when they are they are infiltrating the High Lord Turak's manor to get the horn, and. Ingtar comes back, and then he's asked, where's the guard? What happened to him? <laughs> and he just says, oh, the man was overconfident. He never even tried to raise the alarm. I hit his body under the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh, he was overconfident. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Ah, Ingtar is such a badass. And when the way he faces down that fate. By the way, this is a question I wanted to ask you. In Faldara, mm-hmm. he faces down the fade before mm-hmm. Rand goes into the tunnels, or into the dungeon to save yep. Egwene. What do you think happened after Rand left the room. Do you think Inktar got down on one knee and said, please don't kill me? Do you think Inktar actually fought the Murdral and fought it uh, off? N- no, I think uh, Inktar was the one who let them in in the first place, so the Murdral knew he was a dark friend. And and so the Murdral, as soon as as soon as there were no witnesses, he and the Murdral probably were just like, all right, see ya, bud, and peaced out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you should, know, not in so many that. words. They, the TV but. show should definitely have that scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. He let Fane in as well. 
But remember, he had self-doubt, so we like him. So it's fine. Yeah, oh, no, no. <laughs> That's not yeah, the I mean, only he, reason. He made a bunch of dick moves, but, you know, he was aware they were At least moves, he was so uncertain. Okay with exactly. <laughs> so so my, my last little Inktar note is, I, unless I miss something in Eye of the World, we have our first uh, instance of a gray man in this book. Uh, the uh, Ingtar let in a gray man, and it was a gray man who shot at probably Rand, not the Amerlin, at the beginning of Faldara. I thought it was Pod and Fane who shot at Rand in the Amerlin, because he no, can feel Pat the eyes Fane, on him. Pad and Fane was long gone. Well, that's that's. Um, I didn't think so, he had quite so left yet. Because why can Rand feel the gaze of the person on him as the watched. arrow is fired? But that's something that we've only heard Rand say about. Pod and Fane, so is that... I'm going to give you a quote right now that's okay. going to end this conversation. Okay. He's going to mic drop you. Um, yeah, oh, he's going to mic drop I, you. I, I am going to. I am going to mic drop you. Bring it. Do not drop my mic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pat chiming in there. This shit's not free, you know. I never knew what he was going to do. Ingtar said softly, as if talking to himself. Yeah. A pale little man you didn't seem to really notice, even when you were looking at him. Oh, even when you're looking at him. Okay, there's the caveat. Okay. Alright, because I was, I, was, I was gonna say, that could also describe Pod and Fane. He's a little no, kind of... No, but and Fane was days out of... Well, day a day out of Faldara already. Like, Pod and Fane... He left with a dark breath. Fled. Yes. Yeah, he, he fled. Um, I thought yeah, maybe but, he stuck around to have one final shot because no. it was just the way that well, Rand described having that them? filthy gaze on him, and he was looking around. I was like, "Oh, oh, that sounds you were like making like the Shadar Logoth connection with with the eyes." No, or? no, no, no. It, it was when um, it was moments when when uh, Fane was trapped in the dungeons at the beginning of the book, and he was looking up and he was looking oh, towards Rand, and oh, Rand gotcha, could gotcha. feel the gaze on him through the stone, through the floor. So gotcha. I figured the yeah. fact that Rand could feel the gaze from whatever unseen watcher released the arrow at the Omerlin or at himself. Gotcha. Yeah, no, uh, I thought, it, it oh, a, maybe part of didn't leave quite yet. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's my last Ingtar. Then why didn't moment. they catch the, the gray man? Cause he's a gray man, but he, I mean, there's a shine iron <laughs> soldiers after I can see why they wouldn't notice him up until the point he released the arrow. But once the, the whole keep is on alert and the Omerlin has been attacked and ink or Aglomar oh, is screaming, was, find him like, well, so you think the Shinaran soldiers would have been able to find this gray man? I mean, it's likely what uh, what I believe uh, Swan Sanchez said. She's like, don't even bother looking for him. He's mm. he's out of the keep already. Another question I had for you about yes. that exact thing with Swan Sanchez. Why was she in such a hurry to get back to Tarvalin? Yeah, I'm, wait, hold on. She, I think I asked you this last episode. I yeah. might have actually already asked you that question. Why because, was she in such like, a rush? All of her information is going to Tarvalon. All of her eyes and ears are sending their pigeons there. That's her center of power. Like, she can't influence events from Faldara like she can from Tarvalon. Yeah, I guess. But she, I don't know. So. It, just, it seemed like she had, like, a direct reason. Like, uh-oh, we need to get back. But, yeah. In my hungover musings, I'm thinking, Sweet Tar dying, could that have just basically just been him committing suicide to not face... That the realization of what he's actually done of him, because we're literally just listing all the things he did to essentially screw everyone over this book, and you know, it's like it's like suicide by cop. No, like that. I mean, uh, no, because the, it's the whole... because he talks about it beforehand uh, again, like from that same scene, he tells Rand like, uh, uh, he says because like, he talks about his lives and he says, um, 
that anything he did, you know, he couldn't get out. But then he says, surely, like, the horn would have been enough to save me. No man can walk so long in the shadow, right. he cannot come again to the light. That's what they say. And then, and then he, you know, you can tell, like, he's, he's warring over this vision of all these lives where he could never escape. And he says, no matter what I did, I tried to escape what I'd become, but I never did. Always there was something else required of me. Always something worse than the last. Until I was... And he trails off and he goes, you were ready to give it up to save a friend. Think not of glory. Oh, light, help me. And then he says, there has to be a price, Rand. There's always a price. Perhaps yeah. I can pay it here. That was ostensibly... So he, he's, he is committing suicide, but not to escape any consequences. He's committing suicide because he believes that is the price to escape the shadow. I don't know, it almost, that, reading that, it almost sounds like he's reflecting on his bad decisions. It's like, I can't even live with myself anymore. I, I, I think it does lean more to your side. I'm just saying, it feels like the interpretation could be made. Could be. As that, a, again, ostensibly, hungover. the reason that he joined the shadow was the same reason that all other dark friends joined the shadow. Life everlasting, not having to face death. And he thought, maybe, instead of having to die, I can replace that with the Horn of Valir, and I could do good for the light. And then he finds I will, out. I will say, he did not join for the same reason as all the other dark friends. Well, all he, the what, other dark friends joined for power. Or, I don't know, I feel, I feel like a lot all, of them every other dark friend, Every other dark friend we get in their head, like we get a point of view from, was always like, I was promised power. I was promised dominion. I no, was promised not eternal at all. We get life. several examples of dark oh. friends saying they didn't want to die. That well, was the whole reason. No, that's not the whole reason. That's never the whole reason. Uh, Many I of think them we'll say have they were promised immortality, but, but they the... were also all promised power. Hmm. That's the ultimate, like, it, it was the ultimate, like, selfish, I want to rule. Like, like the one who comes Lady to mind. Shiane, Jaquim Carradine. The one who comes like, to mind. Oh, oh, uh, Boars. Damn, I didn't even consider Boars. I was thinking of Hodman Kadir. They all wanted power. But, I don't know. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get to that but, later. But I just, yeah, you know. Wrapping up Inktar, I just wanted to say, ostensibly, the reason he joined was for immortality, I think, right? And he wanted to replace the fact that he had to die someday with, maybe I'll take the Horn of Valir and do some good for the light, and that'll redeem me. And his, of course, culminative decision of, hmm, okay, I guess I can't escape death, and the Horn has to escape. So, I don't think he joined for immortality. He never talks about living forever. It was being forgotten, right? Yeah, he, yeah. he just saw it, the, he saw it as futile to resist. So well, that yeah. it was it was better to make peace with the shadow. Nations in rising this and falling. Way. Nations being erased. And, and yeah. it was it was better to make peace with the shadow and continue on than to you know you know partake in futile resistance. Mm. So yeah, well now that we've done about twenty minutes on Inktar, on Inktar, yeah. <laughs> maybe more. And so when Sean Bean is cast as Inktar for the TV show, <laughs> you know, we can. Oh my that. god, I haven't <laughs> considered that. You know, you know who I would like to see as Inktar. Damn it, who was it? Liam Neeson, I think it was. I was like, damn, that would be kind of cool. I think he's too old. A little too old. Yeah, Liam Neeson He'd is be like seventies. Like I didn't Aguilar? know that. Oh yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I think I keep thinking Wesley Liam Snipes. Neeson is like in his fifties, but that dude is old. He <laughs> How just about Wesley doesn't Snipes act like for Guidal Kane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Or or and that. this one's a joke. Everybody, relax. This is the joke. one time I heard Hugh Jackman for oh, Perrin. No. I no. swear to God, I heard Hugh no. Jackman for Perrin. It was in the Wheel of Time group. It was about four years ago, and I couldn't sleep for like four days after that. <laughs> <laughs> just, that's you like tossing and turning and you're oh my like, god tortures Jackman. your soul <laughs> mm. i'll never get over that 
<laughs> so actually, I, I do want to just add one thing in, and, and this will be, unless you guys have any other, like, character things you want to talk about, um, a segue I, into our, a... uh, in, into the lore, uh, little... Uh, yeah, go ahead, lore. dude. Okay, so, so speaking of Guy Dalcane, you know, mm. who carries his swords on his back. Uh, I don't think I mentioned this on the last episode, though I had a note to. Um, uh, one of the big criticisms of the cover of Eye of the World is that Lan carries his swords on his back. Oh, the Eye of the World. I'm thinking, we didn't, he's not on the yeah. cover. Yeah, you're right. First yeah. book. Uh, yeah. He's got two swords, and they're both on his back in, on the Eye of the World cover, and people complain about that all the time. I'm like, yeah, obviously, Samurai he Land? has one sword. Yeah. He only has one sword, and everybody's like, he doesn't carry him on his back. In The Great Hunt, when uh, Rand actually describes Lan at one point, and he says sometimes he carries his sword on his back. I He's think it's playing. the only time in the series it's mentioned, but Rand says sometimes he carries his sword on his back. Do you think that it's, was perhaps in Jordan the Nine Rings writing that on purpose? But do you think he was already getting that it, kind it, of it may be, complaint yeah. after the Eye of the World? So in in Great Hunt, he was like, you know what, everybody. Yeah, it was... You know what, everybody? It's like a big middle finger. Like, yeah. Down here, I'm God. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's in the Nine Rings. Um, Foreshadowing. And he's, like, asking... Uh, I think he asks the... Yeah. He asks the, the innkeeper. Um, oh, no, actually, he, he's actually talking about with uh, Caldevwin. He says, tell me, Captain, if you don't mind. Have you seen any other strangers recently? A lady, short and slender and a fighting man with blue eyes. He's tall, and sometimes he wears his sword on his back. He's also, he's also very dreamy. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. He's talking about Moiraine and Lan. Why is Rand looking for Moiraine and Lan in Kyrian? Uh, he's wondering if if they... Because he doesn't know where Moiraine went, and he, he doesn't totally trust. Because the whole book, he's like, he's really paranoid about how Moiraine's, like, all hands off. Right? Right, right. So he's 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 paranoid about that. So so he decides, hmm, I'm in Kyrian. I'm the first inn I'm going to visit. I'm going to ask if they've seen Warren. Like, what? That doesn't make... No, whatever. Well, and Warren's from Kyrian. Well, she is from Kyrian, but would she be hanging out in the Foregate? This isn't the Foregate. This it's is not the Foregate? This is the, the Troidan call um, oh, uh, expedition. Oh, Tremontian. In Tremontian, yeah. Yeah, so why would she be in there the then? What? I, what? I whatever. He's, he's paranoid. Rand's paranoid. I guess, yeah. He's paranoid. But... Yeah. Uh so but so that's that's kind of my my little transition here into into the lore segment. Um and I only really have two lore things to talk about. One of them uh much more concrete than than the other. Okay. <laughs> um and and so I'll start off with the the concrete one. And that is the ways and pet and fane. Okay. And the fact that this book really solidifies again Varen is wrong. Pat and Fane can command the Black Wind. Okay, yeah, that was a question I had for you going on later. I'm glad you brought it up now, though. So, yeah. so, so, Pain's a pain. Wow, Fane can the bit of yeah, because uh, when he was over, like overrun by the Black Wind at the end of Eye of the World, outside of Faldara, yeah. Mafaldadarno, um, and he he claims to understand the voices. And he essentially befriends the Black Wind. Yeah, and so and the, it, some of, here's the thing: the like, the, the yeah. voices in the wind they're saying Althor, Althor, Althor. They're actually yeah. saying Rand's last name. 
So that's what made me start to think. I was like, oh, maybe he can command the Black Wind. So that, that's just so, straight so up concrete. He there, definitely there are two can. options. There are two options for what happened here. So we know that the Black Wind, when it when it overcomes somebody, like it can like kill them, or it can steal their soul. And it's a possibility that when it overwhelmed Fane, it took his soul, so to speak, but his soul was so mangled and so messed up by this what the Dark One did to him and what happened with Mordeth's like, you know, attempted takeover that it couldn't really take his soul, but his soul was imprinted upon the Black Wind. And so the Black Wind is now obsessed with Rand and it can it knows where Rand is. <laughs> I just imagine like a scene like where the Black Wind and Pat and Fane are like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> I wanna make all, that into a meme now, yeah. On that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's see here. Yeah, that, that's because I've I've seen like a lot of um. Like speculation about that, a lot of people wondering what's going on there. Yeah, it's and, so, and that's definitely it. It's, it's so it's creepy. one way or another. Fane was was directing or influencing the Black Wind. Um, yeah, I mean, but, reading but Fane he, was creepy as hell too. You know, Fane decided how the oh, man was yeah. going to die. I was like, oh, some of our very wow. few Pat and Fane points of view in the whole series are in this book. Um, yeah, and we find out he did. He killed that guy, Huan. Uh, yeah. Um, Tarak is like, yeah. oh, when he went missing, I was expecting the one who calls himself Fane since my last bodyguard, you know, had uh, ever since what happened yeah. with, what was the name, Huan? Huan? Was, yeah, he, oh, I, I don't even want to imagine what happened to that guy, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Probably something similar to the Murdral in that village by the area. Yeah. <laughs> something similar or something completely different and uh, equally horrifying. But so, my, my second lore point is a little more speculation based. Sure. But I, I again I have some some corroborating evidence behind this and that is uh Barthanes and his death. He is found torn limb from limb yeah. in his bedroom. <gasps> Wait what a else? second. <laughs> Wait a second. Holy crap. I didn't actually could picked up on that detail. He was torn limb from limb. Torn limb from limb. Dude, that's the golem. It is indeed the Golom. That has and, to be the Golom. And more evidence for this. He's found torn limb from limb in his room in his manor. The next time the Golom is seen in this series is in Barthanes' manor tearing Herodfell limb from limb. That was in Barthanes' manor? Yeah. Rand converts Barthanes' manor into the academy oh, in Cairo. Right. And that's where that's of course where Herod Fell would be studying. Holy yep. crap, dude. Oh my god. What a damn. I get how could you say so, that's that's less substantial? That's concrete, right? Well, it's not confirmed as far as Does I know. Does it need I, to be? I, uh, but but the evidence points that way. Yeah. That this is not only not only do we get our first 
Gray Man, but we probably get our first Golom reference in this book. That's cool. That's really cool. Damn. Oh, uh, we do have one more listener question to get through. Uh, oh, we do? We do, actually. And this is, okay. again, from Joy Kristen Allen. She wants to know, was Rand really good enough to defeat the Shanchan Blade Master Turak? Discuss. Do you think he was good enough to defeat Turok, or do you think perhaps some Taviran was at play there? Uh, I, I don't think some Taviran was at play. There was nothing, like, along the lines of chance that occurred during the duel. That Besides the fact Rand. that Randall Thor, at this point, had only been practicing with a sword for how long? And suddenly he defeats a Shanchan Blade Master? I well, also come out and chance. say... That's not I'll, chance. Like, you think that's it was not skill? how works. Yeah, I do. Rand Rand straight up says that he wasn't as good as him, but he caught him off guard once, and that's all it takes. Yeah, but that I mean, see, I guess I would go go forward and say that I think Rand might have defeated him legitimately. But if that's the case, then I need the Sean Chan Blade Master's mark to be worth less than the than the the Randlands blade master mark because i'm sorry nobody who practiced the sword for a few weeks should defeat a blade oh, no, master months Rand, yeah but Rand started practicing in the, in, eye of like, the world the spring and yeah they lost like four months in with the portal stone but that like he was still practicing for, for a five long months. time no yeah yeah five months really a blade master i mean i'm not i'm Have not saying the possibility he was the blade master was drunk Yes. <laughs> well, all so, he drinks so is there, calf, there are two though. things that play into this. There are two yeah. things that play into this. One, Rand was overmatched. He says it outright. He's like, even with the void, he's losing, and he's like, I have to do something desperate to end it right now, or I'm gonna die. And he does something desperate, and it works. And two, that might be Turak was toying with him. I would argue that that's why Turak doesn't deserve the Blade Master's mark then if he allows himself to be caught off guard by somebody as inexperienced as Randall Thor. That in itself means that the Shan Chan Blade Master mark, or however Turak found himself I with mean, it, was unearned. Yeah, maybe maybe Turak wasn't like but but he, he was a Blade Master and he, he earned the Heron. And Did we he? also see another Shan Chan Blade Master later in the series who's very good, uh, uh, who uh, fights Rodel Iteralda. Yeah, so. but I just, I just, I can't accept. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm holding the Blade Master's mark on too high of a pedestal. But I just, I can't, I refuse to believe that Randall Thor, with five months of sword training, through whatever coincidence or, 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 or not even coincidence, but just with catching him off guard with the mind games, not necessarily with the skill, but the surprise factor. I still don't think a Blade Master should have let himself fall for that, and I think. It's not so much speaking for Randall Thor's skill as it is against Turok, because, dude, come on. Uh, that's certainly a possibility, and I, I'm i not one of the people who's, like, gotten hardcore into, like, the forum conversations, yeah. like, who could beat who, who's better. Um, but my impression always was that of the Blade Masters we see in, in this series, Turok was one of the worst. Oh, hands down. We don't see a whole lot of yeah. them, but I think he has to be the worst. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't know. I I, I never thought I, like Torum Riotin was probably all that great. Um, what, are you kidding me? He almost killed Lan. I mean, he bloodied Lan, but Lan gets bloodied a lot. <laughs> yeah, but Lan gets bloodied a lot when he's surrounded by Trollocs and Murdral. He doesn't no, get no, bloodied on a one-on-one. -on -one. Lan, Lan got bloodied by Ryan Venomar. 
Who? Lane straight oh, up it, said in, uh, Ryan was better than him in New that, Spring. But, but that was a new spring. That was that was thirty years before Lane had, or twenty years before Lane had. Yeah, when Lane was in his prime. No, I would say he's in his prime now. He's not as young Lane as he never is now. Not his, his prime. physical prime. He's not in his Lane. physical prime. Human physical prime is like your mid to late twenties. Oh sure, sure. I mean, my I should be. I should say I'm in my physical prime now. I should be in and, my physical and prime and now. And I'll also just say in New Spring, Lane just got done fighting. I yield for months. Like yeah, but he's only had on in New Spring. He's had what 10, 15 years of practice with the sword. Oh no, of course he's been trained since the cradle. About? He's, but yeah. <laughs> but still, he's not he's not a blade master in New Spring, is he? Yeah, he is. Is he? Well, well so Lane is technically like well, not a blade master. Well, actually, I don't I don't know when right? we yeah. Well, he doesn't have the herons. He is technically a blade master because he's defeated blade masters in combat. But it needs to be witnessed. Um, but he and, never. Yeah, he never like carries a sword with Herons on. I don't know, but but uh, I don't know. Yeah, on your point about Torum like, Riotin, like anybody Rand, that can bloody like Rand land. was was handling Torum Riotin in a Crown of Swords before the the Bubble of Evil happened. So that was Torum Riotin? Riotin is like the coolest name, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the Rebel Kyranian camp, that was Torum Riotin. Sorry, Some yeah. sport cousin. That was him. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Cause he yeah. got, well, he, anyway, we're we're going way off yeah. board now. But, <laughs> I, 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 I just don't think there's enough information about blade masters and like the yeah, system in general to really mm-hmm. just to really know. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'll just say Rand got really lucky, or not really lucky. Maybe he's the mind games, whatever. And Tor- uh, Torm Riotin and Turok just sucks. He's one of the worst blade masters of all time. If he honestly let himself get fooled by somebody who's only been practicing for five months, regardless as to their That's station, fair. I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I'm no fine with that explanation. With accepting but, that. Okay. I I will say I do not think Taviran came into the the situation there. There was nothing of chance. There wasn't like you know Riotin or uh wow Riotin. See, uh, I got Turek you doing that too. Like, yeah. Uh, Turek didn't like stumble over the body of a soldier who just happened to fall behind him or anything. You know, he didn't. There wasn't like a a porcelain, you know vase that fell over and distracted him yeah. at just the wrong time. Yeah, there was no Taviran chance at play. It's just, how do you... I, I, yeah. He's just arrogant, you know. That's... I guess, and, yeah, and honestly, like, going off your explanation, uh, Rob, like, that could be kind of uh, uh, poetic in a sense that Robert Jordan, as he wrote it, that duel starts with Turak being supremely confident and saying, let's see what it takes to earn the heron yeah. on this side of the ocean. Yeah. When... Maybe what takes what it takes to earn the heron on the other side of the ocean is in fact the lower standard. I don't know. Yeah, could be it. So, yeah. speculation. But yeah, do we have any uh, like any just last thoughts on the great hunt? I just want to give into the final a draft? shout out to that that awesome one on one you know fight scene between Rand and Turok. I think that's one of the greatest one-on-one fantasy duels of all time. I mean the way it was written, the way that 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 Jordan uh described it as being like a dance and their music was steel on steel. I mean it, it, yeah. we, we hear a lot more of this kind of description later in the series, but you know, this was seminal, I think, to to that yeah. entire style of writing. Um it it's was the was, first real duel we get in the series. So. Yeah, I, I mean it, I, it was the, my only room for disagreement is like sure. it wasn't if the other my other favorite scene was when Rand was shooting his bow in the parallel world. Oh yeah, right, that was that was that was the Golom. Oh, the Golom. What the hell no, am I the, saying? The Grolm. The Grolm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that that was my favorite scene in the book. Oh so really? Was, I, I like that. Yeah. 
oh, we got to do top three scenes. Yeah, I totally forgot top three scenes. I didn't even write any down, but I've been thinking oh, as, my we, gosh. as we've been talking. All right, well, well, yeah, I, I got to, like, wing it here. Um, yeah. Rob, well, I mean, I've, I've got... Have, like, two more scenes to go since you just said you, you're top scene. Crap. Um, give me... Let me see. <laughs> well, if you, if you guys want to give it a think, I've got a couple ready. Um, okay, go ahead. The well, fight I, between I, Rand and Turok, we were just talking. That was one of my favorite yeah. scenes in the whole book. Ingtar's final stand... Mm-hmm. Fucking incredible. Uh, absolutely awesome. And, oh, God, there was one that I thought, hmm, that's a, that's a bit of an odd choice, but I might I might take that. Oh, uh, shit. It might have been, I'll, I'll have to come back to this one later, but I think it was when Rand and Loyal are trying to convince Tom Marilyn that they have the Horn of Elier. And Tom is um, just having none of it. He's like, yeah. oh, come on. A shepherd and a beardless ogre have the horn of Valir. Yeah, he's really? like, I could bring you to ten inns where yeah. some guy will tell you he's got the horn, and I'll get bring you to five more where the guy says he'll <laughs> sell it to you for a couple of silvers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the scene where, like, Tom, like, comes back and finds his girlfriend, you know, dead. dead yeah. I was like, that, yeah. that whole scene is super emotional. I, I liked it. Like. Yeah. yeah, not okay. not as like an enjoyable scene, but yeah, you know, yeah. it was well yeah, written. Like, yeah, yeah, but, well executed. Yeah. Uh, the, um, when when Ingtar and company finally arrive in Kyrian, and they they arrive at the burning inn, and Ran yeah. just breaks down in the street, and he starts to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> what a stunning view into into the mind, into the just the whole situation that Randall Thoris found himself in. I mean, I I I don't know if I would react any differently. Inktar arrives just as the horn is just stolen again. At the irony the, just of the life. laughing of it. Just like, oh my god, of course this is what happened to me. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Right. So so as far as top three goes, uh my my three my top scene is Inktar's final stand. Sure. I I call it Inktar's suicide. <laughs> uh, uh my second favorite is uh the chapter siding. Rand approaching the Choidan call and muttering the Aiel oh, chant till the yeah, shade is gone. Um, and and I I love the the cadence. I love the construction of the writing in that scene. I think it's brilliantly done. It it the way he has these one one sentence paragraphs interspersed with um you know sentence fragments as Rand is like speaking and then acting and speaking and acting and and the tension just ratchets up it's beautiful yeah. and then for similar reasons uh the 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 whole sequence of Rand using the portal stone going to Tomon head the flicker yeah flicker i was going to ask you what the hell happened in there and and in and in between his lives we get fragments of Varen saying something isn't right something's wrong and yeah. screams. Yeah. And it, it just, again, the way Robert Jordan constructed these things, the way yeah. he wrote them was so impressive. It, it really just builds the tension to a breaking point. It, it makes you uneasy to read flicker, 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 yeah. flicker, 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 you know, like it's, it's so well done. Oh, I, I'm so I glad mean, you brought this up. Yeah. It, and, to uh, to answer your your question of like what what do I think happened there? Yep, um, that's one question. So it, it's just Rand's fumbling with Sidine, not being yeah, practiced I, enough, letting it kind of consume him as he's distracted. A yeah, surge and of I the also one power. think he chose like the wrong um, 
uh, symbol. Symbol, really? Because there, there are two of them, right? There was yeah. like, there are two of them. It's like a circle with like a triangle. One of them, the triangle is completely in the circle. One of them, the triangle is piercing the circle. And one of them's like going left and one's going right. And he chooses the one that's piercing the circle and pointing left because that's the one that like toward is pointing Tom toward Tomon head. Yeah. Um, I think he, he chose the wrong one. And that essentially was like what put them through this. Okay. And that and and on top of that, like, because there was the surge, there was like a surge of the one power. Yeah, as Varen describes it, and like that was like essentially Rand inadvertently channeled, um, and and like with this, it, it provided like another resonance type thing. That's that's at least how I interpreted it. There was something I noticed about the order of events, the order of lives that we got. Before we got to the flicker, 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 mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know if this—I mean, this is only the three, three examples. So I don't know if it's enough to actually form a pattern or not. But I noticed this time going through that with each successive vision that we got from Rand's point of view, they they were slightly less and less likely. For example, in the first vision, Rand st- he fumbles the hot ceramic thing full of water before he throws it at the Trolloc. In the in the in the house in the farmhouse mm-hmm. and of course the troll mm-hmm. just runs him through such a small little detail something shifted so slightly boom ended right away and the next one I think it was that he that he never left the two rivers that Moray never found him in the two rivers right and then he goes on yeah. his, he lived in the, his whole life in the two rivers and he was he went mad he he you know Egwene died and then the third one. He actually leaves the two rivers on his adventure or whatever, and mm-hmm. he, you know, supposedly going to to Ilion, and he gets mugged and and Baralon, and he ends up, you know, forming his life in the Queen's Guards and kind of pining after Queen Elaine in that vision. Do you think like there's actually something to be said about that, or maybe perhaps Jordan did that intentionally? That with each successive flicker there, it was farther and farther removed from the reality that we found ourselves reading. Uh, it's certainly possible, but it's um, it's just not enough. Data yeah, to form like an actual said, sequence, right? Like, or a pattern. Some of the some of the like later lives when you know it's just like in a sentence, like, brief descriptions. He was a soldier. It says some of them yeah. like Moiraine came and got him. Sometimes it was other Aes Sedai. Sometimes it was Red Aja. Like, uh, like there there are things that like maybe aligned more closely later on, but we don't get enough detail about them to know. Sure. Like, maybe it was Moiraine who found him again, and that seems like on the surface, more closely aligned with reality, but maybe in that version of events, yeah, Moiraine found him, but Moiraine was... had never been there when Jatara Moroso had the foretelling, and had no yeah. idea. She wasn't looking for him, you know, she, she just stumbled her way into the two rivers, or things like that, you know, like um, it, it could be. I, I kind of like that theory. Hmm. So. Well, the only thing I have less left to discuss, actually, not, not just discussion, I just wanted to, to reiterate something that you mentioned in, in part one of The Great Hunt. Uh, or oh, it might have actually been Eye of the World. I think, yes, it was Eye of the World part one I was listening to, the, oh. the proof of recently. And you mentioned in Eye of the World part one that you enjoyed Min's humor. And I found myself yeah. laughing along with Min's humor in this one as well. Uh, there was a point when when she says they're going to go dance with the dark one, right? I found that kind of cool, kind of kind of cheeky. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was another moment when uh, near the very very end when she's kind of hauling an unconscious Randall Thor, and she's just kind of dragging him along, and she says something along the lines of, "Why couldn't I have had something simple like being stranded with a dozen hungry Aielmen?" 
Yeah. Something yeah. along those lines. You know, I just, I did find that she actually has this kind of staggering humor that I wasn't really picking up on before. Yeah, like, I think it's part of the reason that a lot of people like Min so much is that she has a very down-to-earth, relatable kind of humor. Yeah. Um, and, and I do like that about her. The, the mm-hmm. things I don't like about Min are separated entirely from, like, her personality. And you had mentioned we'll be so discussing a lot of that later, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um... Yeah, but yeah, that's uh, everything that I have. Do you have any kind of last thoughts on The Great Hunt? Um, it's hard to... I can't... I cannot think of a third scene that hasn't already been mentioned that I think worth noting. Um, oh. loyal, loyal staying outside the setting should be mentioned. Oh, we adorable. were on our favorite scenes. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I can't... I, I gotta say, I, I do love the climax of this with the end of the... The end, when when he actually sounds the horn and you get to see mm-hmm. all the... You know, see all the heroes for the first time. That's that's a great, it's a great coming way to down end. the fog yeah, like the yeah, side yeah. of a mountain. That was cool. That was super cool. I I, I should be noted that, that that was great. You know, see Brigida for the first time. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. Uh, the way she just nukes that ship as it's leaving the yeah. harbor. <laughs> just like, bitch, what? Get good. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. It's super bad. GG easy. Like, after what is essentially a, a fairly bleak book in a lot of spots, you kind of get this super. I don't know, super encouraging scene that, like, the light's not completely doomed. Like, they have a chance right. here. Like, it's, yeah. a, you know, a bit of a hopeful, hopefulness. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, I think that's, that's about all I can think of. Okay. So, uh, shall we move into the final draft, then? Yes, let's move into the final draft. Canadian Rob, how about you kick us off? Canadian Rob kicking us off <laughs> here with an American bourbon. This here is Maker's Mark, which I'm sure everybody's had listening to this at some point. It's a very, very popular uh, bourbon, and there's a reason for it. It's just straight-up delicious. It's, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, as far as the... Oh, this is 45%. I thought it was 40%. Damn. But anyway, I mean, that actually kind of explains a bit of my lingering hangover, too. Um, but no, Maker's Mark is something that I've been drinking ever since I listened to the Rooster Teeth podcast. They, they, they touted it on there once. I heard them mention it a few times, so I tried it out once I saw it here, and I saw we could get it here. That big dollop of red wax on the top. I'm just like, ooh, that looks like a nice little bottle, but a very old-fashioned label. But as far as the flavor goes, you know, very, very easy to go down, straight, even warm. I found this out the other day. I had left, uh, I had left it outside and i was like oh i got a bit of warm makers here i'm gonna give it a sip and actually goes down really well if it's warm it's like it burns so well but it's almost like a cinnamon burn it's just i don't know it's it's a very very good bourbon i would absolutely recommend makers mark especially while listening to the inking out loud podcast hey (laughs) rob winchell what about you (laughs) i classed it up today i brought a, a 40 of mickey's you know, oh, Mickey's? Uh, what is Mickey's? Is that a beer? Yes, it it's is a... fine malt liquor. <laughs> <laughs> they cost about forty cents, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy oh crap! Gosh. Classing yeah, yeah, it up. That, that's I'm, like the I'm time class, I brought Bush onto the podcast. Individual. Oh Man, like, yeah. <laughs> I like I, I today was rough. Like I, I know I smell terrible. I'm pretty sure <laughs> I might hypothetically have came into this still tripping a little bit like it, it's fine like it's been a it's, been yeah, a it's good, all good been a good day. as long as you can have a discussion that's what we do this for my man oh man <laughs> yeah. well uh well I, I anchored it i i had a uh thematically appropriate beer and this is uh this is my ode to ingtar and to Varen. oh i'm excited um so what i've been drinking today is a uh it is an oak aged ale 
with Britannomyces from Deschutes Brewing Company in Oregon. And, uh, you know, this is it's pretty acidic, pretty sour, uh, a lot of good oak notes in it, uh, as you would expect. Um, not as fruity as you would ex uh, as you might think, because it, it was uh, brewed with cherries, but I, I don't get a ton of cherry in it. Has a little bit of that funky Britannomyces, but again, like, it's mostly just like a pretty straightforward sour ale. Um, it's good, though. It's, it's pretty solid. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to just tell you the label here has a... A raven on it a black raven of course that's the only kind of raven never mind I forget it's I said called that. <laughs> the dissident a blue raven. dissident oh the dissident that is dissident i like so it. this is this sticking is with the theme of Inktar and varen right yeah i wish i picked i wish i had the beer i had last podcast that was way more <laughs> on theme with the <laughs> that's how i feel every time i'm not drinking yeah. glenfiddich oh, i yeah. wish i had that that scotch that i had on three episodes now, I think I've had that one for. Yeah, you've had Glenfiddich on a couple Ooh, of times. I love it. I, I and love I will it. I will tell you, I already have my beer for uh, part one of the Dragon, the Dragon Reborn. Reborn. And really? It's awesome. Oh, it's perfect. Nice. So, yeah. I'm stoked now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, pretty much wraps up our discussion for the Great Hunt, book two of the Wheel of Time. Awesome book. Uh, this has been episode thirty. 30 episodes not counting podcasts. patreon exclusives of course but yeah and uh next up uh we will be doing we'll go uh going straight into the dragon reborn we're going to read chapters 1 through 29 uh so the the final chapter we'll read is called um oh dang it i, I just forgot what the chapter name is it's like a, a a trap to spring i believe um yeah, but you yeah, told me at the top of the episode. I forget too. Yeah, it's a it, just about half the book. Um, we will have a a pretty special guest on for that one. So yeah, we definitely will. yeah, stay I'm tuned. Not special. Fine. <laughs> hey, he said pretty oh, you, special. You're regular you, special. You I were guess. very You're special. Regular special. You were very special. <laughs> 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 Sexy Rob. Um, so yeah, as as Rob mentioned, uh, you know, take a look at our Patreon. Consider supporting us. Our our Patreon. Support is going straight toward paying our sound engineer and our artist. So, you know, we, we really support that. They support that. You know, we are we are not going to let people behind the scenes go unpaid. You know, we're, we're big believers in paying people for their work. And the Patreon Especially helps us do that. Especially with these two-hour episodes that we've been doing lately. I mean, with yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're really putting a burden on Pat with the, the sound editing. Love um, you, Pat. Uh, yeah, so please consider supporting us on Patreon. And uh, as always, I'm your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yes! And our very special guest, Our Rob very Mitchell. specialist I guest. I love you too. <laughs> and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs>